Hi, I'm Gary Zacharias. I want to welcome you to the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm taking another look at a big book and a powerful book by Ron Rhodes called The Challenge of the Cults and New Religions. And it's subtitled The Essential Guide to Their History, Their Doctrine, and Our Response. And I think that's really important. Know what they believe and what's the Christian view of this uh, cult or this new religion. I'm going to do for this time chapter 5, which is discussing the mind sciences, but I'm not going to do all the mind sciences. I'll focus more on Christian science. So it starts by giving a little historical background. A man named Phineas Quinby. Okay, he was born in 1802, and he used metaphysical techniques to heal people. And he finally started writing down some of his theories, and he espoused the metaphysical idea that physical diseases are caused by our thinking, errors in our thinking, or false beliefs. So disease is an error. And so we've created it ourselves. <clears throat> if we would just eliminate false beliefs, then we get rid of disease, and we end up with a healthy body. And he says, how do we do this? How do we get rid of these false beliefs? He says, by the Christ, quotation marks around the Christ. So what's he talking about? Well, the human Jesus and the Christ are different. Jesus was a mere human, and he discovered the truth of how to get rid of this problem, this error of sickness. And this truth, this higher wisdom, is an impersonal principle. It's a mind principle he called the Christ. So Christ is something all people can discover. They can use this. Everybody can use it. So gradually, they came up uh, by the mid-1800s with what was known as the New Thought Movement, and it kind of stuck. And so old thought is out, and now we've got new thought in. So Jesus, distinct from the Christ, I think I mentioned that, and it spawned three major movements, Christian Science, the United Church of Religious Science, and the Unity School of Christianity. Now, put them together, and they're called the Mind Sciences. So the idea of mind says that God is a divine mind that is all in all. And of course, science is not referring like you'd think to medical science, but to metaphysical or mental science. So there, all three of those groups advocate that the divine mind fills all reality. We should seek to harmonize our mind with this divine mind so we can become one with it. Do you hear some Eastern religion in there as well? Okay, so like I said, I'd like to focus just on Christian science of the three, because that's the one you may have heard more about. But where does that start? Okay, a little biography there. Mary, Mary Baker Eddy, born in 1821, and she was delicate, and uh, she had a lot of illness when she was growing up, and she was neurotic, and it continued until later in life. And as an adult, she supposedly developed clairvoyant powers, and she dabbled in spiritualism and the occult. She'd fall into trances, and people would seek advice from her while she was in that state. Now, she took most of her theology from Quimby. Now, what's interesting is later on, she claimed that she came up with it all on her own. Well, that's not true. She took it from Quimby, um, and she became interested in him because he was a healer, and she needed to be healed as well. And so... He called his system all sorts of terms, science of health and even Christian science. Well, she wasn't an original thinker. She took it and she developed her own Christian science. So after Quimby died in 1875, she published her book that was called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. I have a copy here at home. And it just barely mentions Quimby and she sets forth her principles that she learned. 
She says her ideas were a new revelation. Well, no, it wasn't. It was actually taken from Quimby. So that's plagiarism, and later it was found out. She denied stealing her ideas from Quimby, but an article in the New York Times documented it. Uh, she rebutted that she herself had discovered all these metaphysical, metaphysical healing techniques three days after she fell on icy pavement. She said doctors told her she only had three days to live, but she was restored to health because she used these metaphysical healing techniques. Well, the doctor who treated her, we even have his name, Dr. Alvin Cushing, contradicted her claim, said she was never in critical condition or near death, and, she di and he didn't know of any kind of miracle that she spoke of. Okay, so she eventually established what she called the Massachusetts Metaphysical College. She taught more than 4,000 students over an eight-year period. And in 1879, she founded the Church of Christ Scientist. And it mushroomed. It really grew. By 1896, so we're talking only uh, about 17 years, there are more than 400 churches and societies, Christian science churches, she died in 1910. They had something like one million people attending these churches. And it says the church had some wonderful membership figures through the 1950s. In fact, I remember one of their churches, a really nice-looking church, close to my grandparents' house. But a decline started in the 1960s. One estimate said membership was about 400,000 in the mid-1960s. Today, it says probably fewer than 250,000 members. And that's worldwide, not just the U.S. So... They're not, they're not that big, certainly not as big as the Mormons and things like that, but I still think it's interesting, this whole mind science angle, so I do want to continue with this. So in the 1990s, the church got all sorts of negative press because the, the newspapers discovered that 18 children had suffered preventable death since 1980 because of the parents choosing Christian science metaphysical healing rather than taking their children to a doctor. Wow, it says even several of the couples were tried and convicted for child endangerment, and actually some of them convicted for manslaughter. Then you had another controversy in the 1990s. Uh, Bliss Knapp was the person's name, wrote a book called Destiny of the Mother Church, and that declared Mary Baker Eddy to be equal to and the successor of Jesus Christ. It deified Eddy, and it says even some people within the Christian science movement thought that was heresy. But the Knapps, the people that wrote the book, their family, stipulated that $90 million would be left to the church if they would publish that book and put it in Christian science reading rooms. Huh. It says uh, the church never really got that much money, but uh, interesting. So let's get to some of their teachings. So what do they teach? Christian science, start with the Bible. What do they say? It's to be interpreted esoterically. In other words, uh, you have to seek a spiritual interpretation and the only way you can do that, you have to use her book, The Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, as a guide. So that book can unlock all the mysteries of the Bible. Nobody can really understand the Bible without that. So you don't judge Eddie's book according to what the Bible teaches. The Bible gets judged according to her teachings. So she even boasted, the works I've written on Christian science contain absolute truth. So what does she say about sin, sickness, and death? Well, Christian science says that those three things are just illusions. They can be conquered by denying them. They're just states of false belief. The only reality is God or divine mind. Everything else that can exist, uh, nothing else can exist except in your mind or your thoughts. So because matter can't really exist, then 
neither can sickness, pain, nor death. And in 1898, she challenged the world to disprove that she had healed all sorts of people. Well, Charles Reed, who became the president of the American Medical Association, said, allow me to present to you some cases, and you can heal them. And uh, said, if you can heal any of them, I'll proclaim your omnipotence from the housetops. Uh, she refused his offer. Hmm. Are you surprised? No. What does she believe about God? Well, Eddie says God is not a person, just like Quimby said, rather a divine mind or divine principle, devoid of personality. So we don't approach God in a personal way. All is God, and there's nothing beside him. And God is spirit, so the spirit is the real, and the eternal matter is unreal and temporary. What about Jesus? Well, just like what Quinby said, Jesus is a mere human who demonstrated the divine Christ. So Jesus wasn't himself the Christ. He just embodied the Christ. So what he was, Jesus was kind of a way shore. So he showed us what we could do. And she said the idea that God poured his wrath out on his beloved son on the cross, that's a man-made theory. She said the blood of Jesus couldn't cleanse anyone from sin. Jesus doesn't save. It's the principles that he taught that bring salvation. We save ourselves, in other words. What about man? What does she say about man? Well, the Christian science view is because God is all in all, man himself is part of the divine. Again, it sounds very Eastern, doesn't it? So God is good. Man is part of the divine. So as I say, man does not sin. Sin's an illusion. It's unreal. Man is good and is perfect and capable of sin or sickness and death. This is a quote from her works. There is in reality no evil, no disease, no death. She doesn't believe there is a sacrifice on Calvary because death is just an illusion. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. There was no resurrection. So what did the disciples perceive? He reappeared to his followers. He rose from the grave to them. So it said, I think this is really confusing. In his final demonstration called the Ascension, which closed the earthly record, he rose above the physical knowledge of his disciples and the material sense saw him no more. What? I don't get that at all. But there was no crucifixion or resurrection. And because sin and evil and death and all these things are illusions, then salvation is just your belief. You stop believing in those things. So the problem is not our sin. It's just our mortal mind. And so through Christian science, the errors of our mind can be cast out. So everybody gets saved. Because after all, nothing exists except God or divine mind. There's no literal hell. We make our own hell. We just think wrong. And hell is the fire of a guilty conscience. And heaven is reinterpreted just good circumstances that come about if we start thinking the right way. So in Christian science thought, man continues to live following what's called death. He's not annihilated. He doesn't lose his identity. After the momentary belief of dying passes, this mind is still in a conscious state of existence. So I wonder what happens to us then. But she continues that after death, there's a probation during which we continue to fight and overcome the errors of matter, sickness, and death. Hmm. So we eventually get rid of all these illusions and everything's fine. Okay, so like I said, she talks about, uh, the book talks about some other beliefs, uh, but I wanted to stick with Christian science. So let's go to the part at the end of the chapter where he challenges, I think I'm down to about four pages here, five pages, so what are the challenges that we can come up with to Christian science? Well, first of all, 
the idea that the Bible is too difficult to read says that violates the injunction. We're supposed to rightly handle the Word of God and not distort its meaning. And that's exactly what she's doing. She's distorting God's Word. We should be able to read it ourselves. Number two, this idea about the Bible uh, fails to recognize each verse of Scripture has only one true meaning. Okay, so she's got the idea that you plug into it anything you want says they try to make a case for hidden meanings of the Bible. And it says, we insist not all interpretations are equally correct. Here's a third point. The basic authority in interpretation ceases to be scripture with Christian science, becomes the mind of the interpreter. So you can get all these contradictory meanings because the mind is the authority, not the scripture. Here's another problem. Christian scientists rely on their own inner illumination to determine what Scripture means, but Christianity relies on the Holy Spirit for illumination. Another objection. This, this uh, view superimposes mystical meanings on Bible verses. It doesn't really objectively try to figure out what the Bible author's intended meanings are. It ignores the context of Bible verses. Christian science ignores grammar, history, and culture. Uh, so you don't know what the authors were meaning at all. It goes against what Jesus said. He never interpreted the Old Testament scriptures esoterically. He called them literal. You know, the creation account, Noah's Ark, the flood, Jonah, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his wife. Toward the end of the chapter, then, the point that the author is bringing out is there is a distinction between God and his creation. Huge, huge distinction. Creation is finite and the creator is infinite. Uh, from a biblical perspective. Now, God is eternally distinct from what he created. So that's a huge difference. God created all things out of nothing. He's not pantheistically one with the universe. He's distinct from his creation. Furthermore, the, the, these mind sciences, Christian science especially, their view of God fails to deal with the existence of real evil in the world. If it's just an illusion, then... What's, what's the big deal? Why should we care? But evil is true. Evil is real. Uh, quote from Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And contrary to the mind-science view, God is an impersonal source. The biblical concept says God's a loving Father and we can cry Abba. Yeah, I love that. Well, if they got God wrong, they certainly got mind, uh, man wrong too, didn't they? If God is an infinite, chainless being, how is it possible for man to go through this process to discover his divinity? The fact that a man comes to realize he is God proves he is not God. And the desire for Godhood has a long history, as Ron Rhodes points out. I mean, you think back to the fall of Lucifer and Adam and Eve, you know, to, to be everything that uh, God has. God knows in the day you eat from your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's in Genesis. That was the temptation for mankind. So even up to this present day, man keeps wanting to be like God. Uh, so I think that's interesting too. Jesus alone, here's another point, Jesus alone is the Christ. He is Christ. He's not using the principle that's him. It says the New Testament talks about uh, the Old Testament word for Messiah is Christ. Jesus alone fulfilled all those prophecies. He alone is the Christ. There is no other. And when Jesus was acknowledged as the Christ by people, he never said, oh, you too have Christ within. No. He said actually in Matthew 24 that others would come falsely claiming to be the Christ. 
And what about matter and sin and sickness and death? They're real. God created the universe, and he said it was good. The world of matter is not an illusion, nor is it evil. It's real. It's part of God's good creation. And if you just deny sin and sickness and death, deny the reality, that doesn't make it so. In fact, they said during Mary Baker Eddy's last years, she was under a doctor's care. She had morphine injections for pain. She wore eyeglasses. She had teeth extracted, and she'd actually die. It seems like that kind of knocks out everything that she's talking about. In fact, her, her way of denying sin, sickness, and death was in self-denied, wasn't it, by her own life and death. So the reality, uh, Rhodes says at the end of the chapter, this is an unliv- unlivable faith. I have a story that I share with a class. It's a story of a man who goes to visit his dying grandmother and uh, the grandfather. They are both Christian scientists. And she's dying and she's scared to death of what's coming. And she gets no help from her book, from her belief system. No other Christian science comes to visit her because they don't want to admit that there is such a thing as death. And it's really a sad scene. So that's what Rhodes is saying here. It's unlivable. If you really face pain in your life, maybe physical or emotional or mental, if you just say it's rooted in errors, that's no comfort. Denying that evil is real is itself evil. It just causes evil consequences in people's lives. So he says the very claim that sin does not exist is itself a manifestation of sin and fallenness. Sin is real. And because of that, we need a real Savior Jesus didn't come just to show us the way. He came to die as an atonement for our sins. So you have to emphasize, he says, to mind science enthusiasts, it's only by trusting in Jesus you get real salvation because of a real Savior, John 3.16. So I wanted to give you just a brief view of this book again. Good, good material here, the history of a belief system and how it differs from Christianity and why Christianity has far better answers. All right, so it's called The Challenge of the Cults and New Religions. Well, thanks for joining me. Take care.